The title of today's sermon is It Sucks to Be You. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, I am not the sermonator this evening. That would be none other than our very own worship guy, men's minister, sound dude, and website man, David Weatherby. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, Dave comes from a wide, wide background of church work, which qualifies him immensely for what he's going to talk on tonight. Uh, Dave will explain part of his story. You'll have a better appreciation for the man that we as a staff have come to love. One of the things about Dave Weatherby that most people don't know is he's pretty quiet, but when he says something, everybody pays attention. Because he comes out with these very profound statements that were going, huh, wow, well, there is something under the hood there isn't there. So, yeah, it's true. So, we love Dave, and uh, I know that you will too, so would you please kind of help his uh, first time at Scum of the Earth Church Denver sermon jitters and give him a warm welcome. Thanks. All right, since there's no one down here, I'm going to sit on this stool. Yeah, I guess uh, there's a lot of you that I know. There's a lot of you I don't know real well. Um, So I'll give a little bit of background that's relevant to what I'm speaking about tonight. Um, And we'll go from there. So, I put that first title up there tonight of, uh, oh crap, Dave Weatherby is speaking, it sucks to be you, because uh, I'm a very high introvert with absolutely no fear of public speaking whatsoever. Uh, They say that the top fears that people have are spiders, needles, and public speaking, and none of those three things really bothered me all that much. So uh, when I was in high school, I was on student council. Um, I was also a cheerleader. Uh, that's a little fact that not a lot of people know. Um, because my philosophy on life is pretty much if it's funny to me, then... You know, I'm game for it. So really the whole idea of becoming a cheerleader was not to be a cheerleader. It was just because I thought it would be funny to be a cheerleader. I was one of two guys, male cheerleaders, on our cheerleading squad in high school. I got a letter for it. I have a letter jacket <laughs> with that letter sewn onto it that sits in the closet at my parents' house. Uh, I never wore it. I just, again, thought it was funny to have, so... Um, so yeah, this morning I went way too long because I really have no concept of time and again, no fear of public speaking. So it really doesn't bother me at all. Uh, how long you guys sit there and suffer under my spell. So, uh, yeah, growing up was always a 
that was a weird thing. Early, very, very early on in my life, um, I realized that I just kind of looked at the world differently than a lot of people that I knew. Uh, and very, very early on was okay with that fact. Um, and yeah, I still dealt with the stuff that kids deal with um, and being left out and being kind of an oddball. But I also just really kind of liked uh, the way things were was in my life. Um, uh, I got saved. I was raised in a Christian family. Um, was saved fairly early on. Um, going to Christian summer camp and all that. Uh, then, um, so I never really had any issues with God um, in terms of my salvation, in terms of my faith. I've had issues with God in many other ways, arguments with Him, uh, all different kinds of things uh, growing up. Um, and then when I was, I don't even remember how old, when I was in grade school, um, sort of realized, yeah, I was having trouble with school, was having trouble just dealing with things, and um, this was the early 80s, and, you know, ADD was kind of a new thing. It was kind of the hot buzzword, and, you know, um, so that, you know, learned that I had ADD for, you know, whatever that meant. Um, and in junior high, when I hit puberty and my body's changing and things are freaking out, my brain freaked out as well. Uh, so I used to, as I say, swing hard and wide, um, borderline manic depressive. I mean, high as a kite, uh, happiest guy on the face of the earth. And then the next day swinging at anybody who came within five feet of me, um, as I just, yeah, was depressed, didn't know why, didn't really have a clue. Um, just was down, just got overwhelmed by life. Um, you know, got into high school, you know, things were still just kind of crazy dealing with uh, my brain and the way it worked and most of the time pretty happy, um, pretty okay with who I was. Um, uh, and then uh, got into college and went to one semester of college and it was a horrible, horrible experience for me uh, because basically it was just like a much bigger high school and I had hated high school and was trying to get out of high school and thought that college would be different and it wasn't. So that sent me into a big depression. Um, so I dropped out, went home, started working for my dad, um, just kind of floating through life. Um, and you know, my, my parents, my parents are great. I like my parents, um, still, uh, you know, so they were always very supportive, always trying to, you know, help me find what was my thing, you know? So, uh, fast forward a couple years, um, had, you know, all different kinds of experiences, um, over the next seven, eight years, uh, then I met Scarlett 
and we got married. And uh, about six months after that, I got a job working for this company. Um, and it was a great job. I loved it. I loved the job. I loved the work. I was producing Christian radio programs, which uh, is a pretty goofy job. Um, you know, I've listened to more sermons than you guys have sat through in your entire life um, from everyone. I've heard every Promise Keepers sermon there is on the planet because they were a big client of ours. Um, so I had this job, and it was great. I loved it. I was newly married, hanging out, um, was involved in our church that we were going to. Um, and then, yeah, it was right about that time. We the, Also, we started coming to SCUM. Um, and then in 2002, um, so December 2002, I uh, was working for this company, producing radio programs, and I, I hated the company. I forgot to mention that. I loved my job. I loved what I did. Hated who I did it for. Like, and I used to come home every day and just complain for hours about how much I hated my job. Well, then that job uh, was taken away from me. I lost that job. was fired three weeks before Christmas on, in 2002. Um, and and, <laughs> and then I was fired on a Friday. And then two days or the following Tuesday was called back by this company and asked if I would freelance for them the same work that I did while I was working for them because they knew that I was a good producer. They just fired me for ridiculous reasons. Um, that's a whole other story. Uh, <laughs> um, so I said yes, which was humbling. Um, because I had no other options at that point in time. I mean, this was my career. This was what I thought I was going to be doing for a long time, um, if not at this company, somewhere else. Um, so I worked for them for the next seven months or so, doing the exact same work that I'd been doing while I was a full-time employee there. Um, and then just after that, started freelancing, just working out of my basement. I had a little studio and uh, I did work for Focus on the Family. I did, I mean, any Christian organization in Colorado Springs that you can think of and around the country. I've probably done radio programs for them. Um, so, and then started working part-time at a church and just kind of struggled from there on out. Um, we were struggling financially because... I had this job paid well, and it was, you know, it was great. And also Scarlett was working full-time at that time, too. So we were young and had lots of money and were foolish with it. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that kind of sent me into a tailspin. Um, and I was very depressed. Um, and I got very angry with God during that time. Um because, yeah, I was just like, okay, God, well, you made me this way, and I don't like it. 
Um, if you could make my brain work properly, this situation would be a whole lot better here. Because um, I, I had responsibility. I had a family to take care of. I had house payments to make. I had car payments to make. I had all that thing. And I desperately wanted to function as, you know, what I thought a normal person should function like. Um, so I was angry at God for that. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so how do you guys respond when you don't like the way that God operates in your life? Um, that's kind of what we're talking about tonight. So, we're going to jump right into Jonah. One of my favorite characters. Um, oh. So, and I'm going to preach from my phone, as uncool as that is. Uh, so, we're going to look at Jonah 1 tonight and see kind of how he dealt with God when he didn't like something that God had done in his life. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Excuse me. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has, had come, has come up before me. Um, so I was preparing for this and reading some commentaries, studying what I could find about Jonah. It's kind of cool. Um, Jonah, his name means dove, and Jonah, son of Amittai, means Amittai is truth. So, son of truth. So uh, I think that's kind of an interesting look at Jonah's character in his name. Um, so go, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness had come up before me. Uh, Nineveh was a city of, of 120,000 people, and they were basically the arch enemies of the Israelites. They were wicked, horrible, horrible people. Um, you can go online and look up Nineveh and read about the ridiculous, crazy things that they did to their enemies, including the Israelites. So Jonah wasn't too excited about God asking him to go to his enemy and to preach against them um, in God's name. So he was like, oh man, this is not good. So... Verse 3, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, which is basically the exact opposite direction from Nineveh. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Um, a lot of people say that God is punishing Jonah for his disobedience, um, which I think is true, but I also kind of look at it a little bit differently. I kind of look at this as God trying to get Jonah's attention. <laughs> He's saying, hey, buddy, you know, um, what are you doing? So, uh, and then verse 5, this is great. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. 
and they threw the cargo and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. So the sailors on board this ship that Jonah had got on were freaking out. They're doing anything they can to try to weather this storm and make it through it alive. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Jonah obviously was not concerned about running from God. He did not take it seriously. He felt completely justified in his action of turning and running the other way. He's like, nope, I don't want to go preach to the Ninevites. They are evil. So see you later. I'm going to go this way, and I'm going to take a nap while I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> I think that's fascinating. Anyway, uh, Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. Um, this, this verse is fairly controversial, um, in the Bible where they talk about casting lots. Um, cause you know, as a Christian, you're not supposed to gamble. You're not supposed to play the fates. Um, again, I think this was God intervening in a pagan ritual to get his will done. Um, it wasn't Jonah's idea to cast lots. Hey, guys, let's cast lots. Maybe it'll fall on somebody else, and we'll throw him overboard. <laughs> the sailors were like, nope, uh, let's cast lots and find out, and the lot fell on Jonah. Um, so they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you from? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? Uh, so from this, I pick up that, you know, it sounds like the God of the Hebrews had a reputation, even amongst people who didn't believe in him. Because as soon as Jonah confessed that who his Lord was, they freaked out. Um, you know, I think of, <laughs> I think of Tommy boy when he's, uh, when he, uh, you know, goes in to pay for the gas and he backs up to the pump and rips the door off the car and then puts it back on <laughs> and David Spade comes out and opens the door and it falls off and he goes, what did you do, Richard? Like, <laughs> they're like, what did you do? You idiot. Like, why did you board our ship and bring this storm upon us? Um, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Uh, which, why they let him on the ship, I don't know. But the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? At this point, uh, Jonah realizes something. He says, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. Jonah realizes that his selfishness is now hurting other people. Before he got on the ship and went below deck and fell asleep, thinking, not a big deal. But now he's brought up on deck. They've cast lots to find out 
what's going on. And they now know that it's Jonah. Jonah now knows that, you know, all right, so this is what you got to do. You got to pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. So he's realizing now his selfishness is hurting other people. He's now endangering everyone on that ship because of his disobedience to God. Um, so uh, the men, being good guys that they are, like, no, we're not going to throw you overboard. That's ridiculous. We're sailors. That's the whole point is that we live on the sea, not in the sea. <laughs> Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Um, again, I think this is God trying to get Jonah's attention. Like, Jonah could have said, okay, Lord, I give up. Let's, we'll row back to land and I'll go to Nineveh. But when they got back to land, Jonah could have bolted somewhere else. I think God knew, like, no, uh-uh, you're not getting out of this that easy. Um, so, you know, th these sailors are freaking out. They're trying to row back to land. And God makes the storm even wilder than before. Um, so they finally cried out to God, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. For you, have done, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Um, yeah, there's not much to say about that. Uh, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So the before we go before we go on this the story of you know Jonah is God told him to go to the Ninevites and to save them because of their wickedness. So uh, in the next in chapter three of Jonah, he finally does get to Nineveh and he preaches against them and they repent. Uh, One hundred and twenty thousand people repent of their wickedness. And God has mercy and compassion on them. Um, and I find this really interesting because Jonah was trying to run because he didn't want to, he didn't want God to have compassion on the Ninevites. Yet at the same time, he did the exact same thing to the sailors that God wanted him to do to Nineveh. He had great compassion on the sailors and said, throw me overboard. And so they did, and the sea grew calm. And he saved their lives by not resisting God anymore, basically. So verse 17, last verse of uh, chapter 1. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So that's, that's the part of Jonah that probably most people know, um, hanging out in a fish. And it probably wasn't like Pinocchio where he's sitting at a wooden table in a wooden chair with a lantern inside the belly of the fish. Was he whittling or something? I don't remember. I haven't seen Pinocchio in forever. Um, so, yeah. Um, Jonah was a goner, basically, as far as he thought. He's like, throw me overboard. Your lives will be spared. And I'll be done with this whole mess. So he was sinking to the bottom of the ocean, and God sends a fish to swallow him up. Um, there's all different kinds of 
crazy theories about the fish. Was it a fish? Was it a whale? Was it a shark? Could a whale swallow a man whole and he could live inside its belly for three days? I don't think any of that really matters. I think just God went to incredible, incredible lengths to get Jonah to partner with him to save the Ninevites. Um, God wanted Jonah to do his well and to partner with him to save the Ninevites. God could have done it himself. He could have found another prophet. He could have sent a plague on the Ninevites to make them repent of their ways. He chose Jonah and then went after Jonah in multiple ways to get him to work alongside him to do his will. To do his will. So, um, chapter two uh, in Jonah. I'll just touch on this, is basically Jonah crying out to God from inside the fish. Um, and it's cool. He's not, he's not blaming God. He's not angry. He's actually, it's a, it's a prayer of thanksgiving that God saved him from the bottom of the ocean. I don't know how being inside of a whale is a good place to be. But apparently for Jonah, it was better than death. And he gives this prayer of thanksgiving to God while he's inside the whale. And the end of the prayer, he basically says, Okay, God, I will sacrifice to you and I will do what I have vowed to do. Which he was a prophet, so he's vowed to tell the word of the Lord to people who God asks him to. So he's basically says, okay, I will sacrifice my own personal stuff and I will do what you want me to do. And at that point, the whale spits him out on dry land. Um, so then from there, he goes to Nineveh, preaches to them. Again, 120,000 people. I looked up on population on this, on if I could find a city that was 120,000 people. There's not really one, but... Boulder's like 108,000 people. Fort Collins is like 143,000 people. So somewhere in there. So Nineveh has to go into Fort Collins and proclaim that if they don't repent from their ways in 40 days, they're going to be destroyed. Um, and then it works. And, you know, it's supposed to take him three days. He starts doing it for one day. And word spreads around the entire city. The king of the city sends out a proclamation for all the people and all the animals to put on sackcloth and repent. Uh, and they listened. Like, I mean, ridiculous. Ridiculous. One day, 120,000 people are saved um, because of one guy, uh, what he did, because he listened to God. <laughs> I think that's pretty rad. I mean, if that were me, I'd be stoked. What does Jonah do? He's pissed. So in chapter 4, he goes out into the desert and he has this argument with God. And he basically just pouts and becomes a whiny bitch. And like, you know, just... But it's great. I love, I love chapter 4 because, and you should read it. I'm not going to go into it, but you should read it because Jonah has a great relationship with God um, through this whole thing. He has a great relationship with God as 
as dumb as he is through this whole story. He has a great relationship with God, and he goes into the desert and argues with God. And he's whiny about it, but he, you know, he's like, okay, I knew you are a great and compassionate God, and if I listened to you, that you would have mercy on the Ninevites and save them. And I don't really like that, so please just let me die. And, you know, and God's like, wow, really? Are you, you know, you think I should let, uh, you know, not save 120,000 people, not have compassion on them just because of their wicked ways, because you don't like them? Um, And so we're left kind of at the end of Jonah with Jonah pouting in the desert. Um, And there's some more to it, some, some good stuff. Um, but you know, how often do we do that? God tells us to do something. We argue with him about it and then we go pout somewhere. Um, you know, I do that. We're angry with God at what he has done, um, with how he has made us, with what he's asked us to do. Um, so yeah, that's, that's basically the the part of Jonah, the story of Jonah. Um, Jonah doesn't show up really anywhere else in the Bible. He's mentioned in Second Kings in one of the genealogies, just basically explaining who he was and where he came from. Um, and then in the New Testament, he's mentioned just uh, as Jesus sort of giving a, a reference to Jonah of being in the whale for three days. So also he will be in the grave for three days. And that's it. We know nothing else about this guy, and yet it's one of the more, I think, miraculous stories in the Bible. Like, spent three days inside of a fish, um, and then goes and saves 120,000 people. Um, Pretty cool. (laughs) But, you know, being human, what do we do? We pout, we get angry, we don't get our way. Um, So yeah, for after I lost my job at West Star for the next seven years, I kind of pouted. Um, struggled financially. Um, owned a house in the Springs. Owned uh, some automobiles that we were making payments on and basically lost all of that. Um, through and it's, and it's completely my fault. Um, you know, it's completely decisions that I made that we made as a family and, but still just lost my job, didn't have enough money to keep making a house payment. And, you know, and so we gave it up. We didn't get foreclosed on or anything like that, but we just, yeah, we left our house. Uh, we moved out of our house one month before Cora was born so we had a house and moved into an apartment that was less than half the size of our house and had a baby. Um, you know, so this is kind of weird. So I was, yeah, pretty angry. And again, just blaming God for the way he had made me. Um, so uh, about, I don't know, two years ago, we were driving in the car one day or something, and we were just talking about things. We were kind of bemoaning just how bad the last seven years had been. And really, there's a lot of good stuff in there, too. But we 
were talking and we're like, we realized that we struggled so much with finances that we, that it was overshadowing all the good stuff in our life. And we finally realized like, oh yeah, we suck at this part, but everything else in our life is pretty good. We have a baby girl who is healthy and hilarious and, um, We've never missed a rent payment. We have a house. You know, we have cars. I have work. I work like five other jobs besides what I do here at SCUM, um, which is a pain sometimes, but it pays the bills. Um, you know, we make enough that Scarlett doesn't have to work so that we don't have to put our kids in daycare, which is important to us. Um, God has never let us down, and we're like, oh, Okay, yeah, great. Um, you know, our, our marriage is good. We like each other. We like spending time with each other. Um, our kids are great. Our, we have great family. Um, you know, and so it, things just mentally started to change at that point in time. We were like, oh, yeah, life isn't as bad as we thought it was. Um Oh, I lost my place. So, um, yeah. So I, I started, you know, stopped blaming God for my problems and for things that he was doing in my life and started just kind of accepting, like, okay, cool, this is who you made me to be, this is how you made me, uh, what can I do about it? Um, so with the ADD and depression stuff, um, you know, I started, I started just looking around and, you know, learning more about it. Um, you know, and with ADD, they're realizing now that it's not a disorder. Um, I want to punch the guy who ever said it was attention deficit disorder. Because it takes kids who are diagnosed with it and makes them feel like they're broken, makes them feel like there's something wrong with them. And actually, they're finding out that people with ADD are fantastic in crisis situations. Uh, they make great paramedics. They make great, you know, theater folk, <laughs> circus folk, I don't know, uh, musicians, um, small hands. Um, uh, yeah, the... Because, you know, and uh, I, I saw this program that said basically, um, you know, after they said that, I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's totally me. Like, I can handle an incredible, incredible amount of stimulation hitting me all at the same time. Uh, and it's only for short periods of time. But I can process so much information hitting me all at the same time. And they said, yeah, you'll see like a car crash or something. And there's one guy who's just calm, completely calm, just walking through the scene, assessing what's going on. They're like, that guy has ADD. While everyone else is freaking out about what's happening, this guy's completely calm, and he's just walking through the situation. And I was like, yeah, totally. That's how I always feel. Like, um, you know, like, it's, that's how I feel when I'm playing music. You know, I'm, 
playing guitar, singing. Um, like if I'm leading worship, I'm having a conversation with God in my head. I'm watching who's coming in the back door. Um, oh, this is, I'll tell this. This is real quick here. Um, so last Easter, we were at His Love, and uh, we had the choir ropes. Does anybody remember that? And uh, so I'm standing on stage, and we're in the middle of this song, and this girl comes in the back door, and I happen to just look up and watch her. And she comes in the back door, and she's, like, looking at her phone or doing something, digging through her purse. I don't know. She comes through the back door, and she looks up and sees us all standing on stage wearing choir robes and goes, and then looks around to see if she walked into the right church. Uh, and I almost started laughing right there in the middle of the song, leading worship. Anyway, anyway. so, yeah. Uh, yeah, in terms of depression, um, I started dealing with that. I realized that my depression is usually just sort of a victim mentality. Um, I'm not saying that I don't believe that depression is a real thing, um, and that people suffer with it and they suffer badly and they suffer, you know, it's a chemical thing in their body, but I'm saying it generally is sort of a, a victim mentality, selfishness of I'm overwhelmed by whatever because boo-hoo, woe is me, things aren't going the way I want. Um, and so I've learned that the best way to deal with that is to take the attention off myself. If I start getting depressed, I start praying for other people. Um, it's one of the best things you can. It's one of the best things you can do anytime, really. But you know, when you're getting depressed, uh, if you know that you're getting depressed, um, which at this point in my life I can tell it pretty much within a couple minutes of waking up in the morning, I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Uh, all right, I guess I'll start praying. Start praying for other people. Start taking the attention off yourself. Um, and then just get up and go. Do what you have to do that day. Don't think about it. Just get up and go. Be diligent in what you have to do. And usually by the end of the day, I'm not depressed anymore. I'm not, I don't really have any, you know, I'm like, oh, today was a good day. Like, I don't know what was bumming me out this morning, but, you know, whatever. Um, so, again, these are just thoughts um, that I've that have worked for me, stuff that I've dealt with. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of that part of my story in a nutshell. Um, but you know, what do you guys do when you disagree with something God wants you to do? Maybe God's been Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe God's been tugging at your heart for a long time. And you're like, God, I just don't like those Christians. I don't want to do that. I don't want to become one of them. Uh, what do you do in that situation? You know, like, um, are you going to, is God going to have to pull some miracles on you? Uh, which would be kind of rad. But do you want to spend three days in the belly of a fish to get to that point? I don't know, it's pretty cool, but I don't know. Um, you know, I don't want to talk to my coworkers about why I'm depressed. You know, um, just whatever reason, you know. Um, are you angry at God? 
um, for something that he's asked you to do. Um, in the case of Jonah, I was thinking about this. I was like, who really had something to lose? It wasn't Jonah. It was God. You know, God was the one that had something to lose, and Jonah didn't have anything to lose um, by going to the Ninevites. He just didn't want to do it. I mean, yeah, the Ninevites were wicked people. They could have tortured him or killed him or something. But um, but still, 120,000 people repented of their ways, of their wickedness, and think of the countless people that then they didn't torture or kill beyond that because of what Jonah had done. You know, it, it, Jonah didn't have much to lose in this situation. He just was prideful and didn't want to do it because he didn't like the Ninevites. Um, is God trying to get your attention? Are you experiencing that right now? You know, is God bringing storms into your life, bringing hardships, bringing something, you know, bringing, uh, you know, whatever. Something's not going the way you want it to go. Uh, and you're just frustrated about it, but you're not really looking to God. You're not really thinking, oh, is God trying to get my attention with this? Is your selfishness hurting others? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, sort of. <laughs> um, but I mean, like Jonah on the ship, you know, is his running from God now brought calamity on the sailors. Um, but even just, even just other selfishness, you know, if all you do is complain about stuff, then you are hurting others. Your selfishness is hurting others with your complaining because all you're saying is I, I, me, me. Um, you know, are you complaining about politics? Are you complaining about work like I did? Are you complaining about scum? Are you complaining about other churches that you've been a part of? I've been a part of a lot of churches. None of them get it right. It's okay. You know? Um, are we being selfish and victims of God's work? Um, are we going to go out in the desert and pout because, you know, because we're a victim? Um, are you angry at God because of the way he made you, like I was? Um, and are you frustrated with that? Are you trying to deal with that? Um, you know, those are, the, those are the questions that I got from looking at Jonah and what happened with him. So what? So, Dave, big deal. So what? Jonah hung out in a fish. And I suck at money because my brain doesn't work properly. You know, so what? How does that help me? Nope. Because I've realized that God made me who I am. He made me this way. Uh, my ADD is not a disorder. Um, I don't even think of it that way. 
my depression is something that I deal with. It's not something that hinders me from living my life. Um, and I trust God that he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And like I've, like I've said, I, I said this in the morning service, I've always had faith in my life growing up in what God has done. If that makes sense, you know? Like I can see the faithfulness of God in my past, but I don't always have faith in what God will do. Uh, and that's a different kind of faith, but um, and that's, uh, you know, and I do now. That's where I'm glad, you know, I've gotten to that point where I do have faith in what God will do. Um, you know, the question was posed to me, uh, and we've probably heard this in different forms, but do we believe that God is who he says he is? And yeah, I do. So I trust him. I have faith in what he will do. Um, but I didn't always in the past. Um, so in wrapping up, um, I just have a couple of things here. Running away from God will not fix your problems. Give thanks and praise God for what you do have. Uh, you know, Jonah was inside of a fish and he was praising God because he was not dead. Um, you know, and then recognize that God has made you who you are and he wants to use you. He wants to work with you to accomplish his will. Um, broken or not. So, that's what I got. Uh, I'll pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, thanks for Jonah and for what you did in his life. Thanks for chasing him down. Thanks for doing miraculous things to chase him down. And Lord, just I pray that this next week we would Look at our lives and see if we are running from you. Uh, that we would look at our lives and praise you for what we have. And that we would look at our lives and recognize that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen.